Rogers Business App Market brings together the right apps for your business and wraps it all up with Rogers world-class support. Microsoft Office 365 makes it easy. Whether you need to securely store and backup files, access or share documents in the cloud, collaborate with your team or manage your business from anywhere and on any device. Plus, with support from Rogers, you'll get everything up and running quickly. To learn more, visit rogers.com forward slash business apps. Scotiabank understands that business is personal and your business has unique needs. That's why we offer flexible solutions for your business banking. Create your own business banking package that works for you by opening an account online in minutes with ease and start saving today. Visit scotiabank.com forward slash small business to get started. Sharing the journey of real Canadian changemakers and the impact they have on the world we live in. It's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs, build theirs this is my lane want to connect after the podcast you can find me at www.meetrivers.com ladies and gentlemen uh you know total admission here i messed up with a technical situation a while ago when interviewing this epic guest and uh, she kindly offered to come back in uh, after i fell on my sword so again i'm just thrilled to be able to have a conversation with michelle cares as our guest today michelle is a serial entrepreneur and the founder and ceo of toronto-based designed ux designed ux is a design and strategy firm that provides companies at a variety of stages from startup to Fortune 500s with the tools and products to make their customer experience second to none. She has built a global customer base from the ground up at Designed UX, working with clients from Beverly Hills to New York to London and Delhi, along with some of the hottest startups in Toronto. Michelle's hands-on experience spans 20 years as she's led over six startup teams and continues to champion companies to get their products to market. And when she isn't traveling the globe or working with her team, Michelle mentors with the next 36 and is an entrepreneur in residence at the Ryerson DMZ in Toronto. In today's podcast, we're going to talk to Michelle about her journey as a founder and CEO and how she's mentoring entrepreneurs to take their startup to the next level. Michelle, it's so great to chat to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Happy to be here. 
Fantastic. So let's dive right in. What's going to happen at the end? What are people going to walk away from at the end of this conversation? Well, I'm hoping that um, people learn a little more about the startup journey. Um, A lot of people think that or have the notion that the idea counts for 90% of the business success and that the rest will take care of itself. But in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Mm. it's almost universally the opposite. Um, So for people who are considering starting up, I would like them to know that it's important to know that startup life is, while it's rewarding, it's also very challenging. And the idea is what gets you started, but it's the execution and your team that help you succeed. And, you know, we're going to get into some interesting conversations, but does it it still surprise you today, Michelle, as to as obvious as that is, how many people still do not follow that simple advice? Um, It absolutely. Um, I advise uh, I've had I have advised hundreds of startups uh, over over the past few years and. Product market fit is probably one of the biggest challenges that they face, and many people just never get there. And do they shy away from even having the dialogue, even after you tell them that? I mean, I see that when I'm when I'm uh, mentoring entrepreneurs, they they want to get back to doing the logo, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they're buying mugs with their logo on it. Right, oh, and that's another important decision. I got to get I got to get the mugs. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> Look, mom, I started a company. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so does it still surprise you though, even after that, how much they uh, they get away? From, you know, they. They just won't listen. Well, people tend to to go for what they're good at. They intend to they they tend to enjoy doing what they're good at. And customer discovery and customer development can be very scary for people, particularly when they don't have any experience in that area, or right. you know they're more of an engineering type that that prefers to work on product. And right. while that's exciting, and that's you know that's a big part of it, uh, customer discovery is essential. And unfortunately, too many people. Uh, as you said, shy away from it. Yeah, it is a shame, but uh, we're here to help them stop doing that. And first of all, uh, well, continuing on, what what is Designed UX? Can you tell us a bit about your company? Sure. Uh, so Designed UX is a strategy and design firm, and we're based in downtown Toronto. And we work with startups and organizations who are making a positive social impact through innovative technology. Uh, So essentially, we design and develop digital products as well as provide marketing and communication services. And as I mentioned previously, and I think will be an ongoing theme during our our interview today, Mm -hmm. is product market fit is extremely important for businesses to succeed. And we Mm. place a very high emphasis on this for all of our engagements with our clients. I talked to a lot of uh, a lot of guests on the podcast, Michelle, and I asked them, you know, what's the what's the pivotal pivotal point in their in their journey that they says, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. Um, I want you to take this with the greatest respect I have for you, but this doesn't sound like a real electrifying moment where you said, I must get into the strategy business. What was <laughs> at that point that said, Michelle, that's where I want to spend the next chapter of my life. I know you're doing epic work. I know you're doing some really cool impact with some amazing organization, but what was that point that said, this is what I'm going to do? Sure. I was always interested in technology from an early age. 
but when I earned my MBA in 2001, I focused on strategy and technology. And at that time, I became convinced that the biggest, most transformational impact the internet could have would be in education. Mm. So after I graduated, I joined a web design and digital marketing startup to learn everything I could about technology. And that was my first step in the goal to combine education and technology. And I've been working in the combination of both of those things for the past 15 years. And it's still a passion of mine. And uh, now I'm on startup number six. Yeah, that's well, you know, I, I'm, I am a firm believer that it just comes to you and you just have to be open to ultimately what the universe puts in front of you. So, uh, so, you know, I embrace that answer and I, uh, I, I encourage others to keep listening because you're, you're, you're an example of opening your ears and your eyes and your mind to a great journey that you're very, very passionate about. And, and you talk about those six startups, um, you know, with your time leading six uh, successful startup teams to growth and you're into the sixth one now. What is, what is the recipe for the best team? Because it's the te- it, it really is about team that makes it work amongst other things, but team is definitely in the, in the top three, I think. Oh, most definitely. And I believe the best way to solve problems is to have different perspectives on the problem. And these come from having different life experiences. So I think the best team is a diverse team, not only in their background, but in their skill set. And as a founder, you want to hire a team that can do the things that you can't so that Mm. you can learn from them and that the company as a whole can benefit from them. I think the other uh, key element to building a successful team is that uh, they share your passion for the problem that you're solving, but they're they're also confident enough to challenge you and your ideas toward a better solution. I've uh, been reading a bit about scale-ups recently, and it talks about the uh, the initial stage, the startup stage, where ultimately you turn to to scale up. And I'm interested if you believe in this or not, that in the beginning they said that startups are about the team and the elements that you just referenced, but then when you get to scale up, team doesn't become the priority, the company does. Uh, Do you uh, subscribe to that or do you think it's uh, something else? Uh, I think if you look at the recent uh, events that happened at Uber and other startups uh, where the company was put ahead of the people who are working there, that is not the way to go. It doesn't serve investors and it certainly doesn't serve uh, your employees or the future of your company. So I think valuing your team, regardless of what stage you're in, is very, very important. Um, Ultimately, everything comes down to people. Everything Mm -hmm. comes down to relationships. And you want to um, cultivate those relationships um, because that voice, whether you plan it or not, will extend out into your customer base. They will get a sense for how you think of them and how you think of each other. And so it's really important that internally you cultivate a culture of positivity and the way that you address each other is also going to be the way that you address um, customers. 
Yeah, I, I, by the way, would put my vote in your park also. I'm I'm convinced that it is the way to do it going forward. Without the team, it doesn't matter how well the engine is oiled. Uh, somebody ultimately has to drive the car. So uh, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, Designs UX is also, uh, you know, in the design and, and marketing and so on. We talked a bit about team. We talked a bit about product market fit. Can you can you touch a bit about, you know, what can entrepreneurs do to better market their products, um, starting potentially with the understanding that there is a fit for your product uh, in the first place? Yeah, exactly. Like we talked about earlier, um, establishing, in my opinion, that, you know, the most important thing for a startup is product market fit. And this also applies, you know, to other companies who may be a little more established, but want to introduce or innovate. Um, They need to keep in mind that uh, customer discovery is really important and that the goal is to understand if your problem is solving the problem that you're solving is resonating with enough people that they are willing to pay for it. And that's the real Mm. test. Not just do people like this, but are they willing to pay for it? And how much are they willing to pay for it? And you can't just ask your family and friends because they're going to give you (laughs) good feedback. You have to have a structured approach. And, um, you know, you start with your research to understand your customers and your competitors and what's working for them. And then you analyze your audience and understand if you're offering something different. And then you got to communicate with people to understand what they're saying, not just to um, respond to them. And then finally, you have to have metrics and figure Uh. out how do you measure success. Right on. I uh, I really, by the way, um, you know, an admission here, and this is an ex- a reinforcement. Uh, folks, we did have a previous conversation, and again, I fell on my sword. But uh, if you've seen a recent LinkedIn comment I made about having a customer, whether or not uh, finding a customer, one who wants your product and then pay for it. I give Michelle now public credit for bringing that comment to my LinkedIn profile, because I totally agree with her on that. It's good that you want it, but whether or not you're going to pay for it, that's so critical. Um, Michelle, we talked about a journey that you took um, with a motorcycle of yours. And um, why I want to bring this conversation back up is one, uh, I always love the story. Story. I thought it was a cool story, but it was as the leader of uh, six successful organizations, and uh, I know you're on your six now, um, how, you know, you went on a 20-day trip that you just decided to do. I don't think you'd, maybe you just didn't decide it, but you did it. How does, how does a CEO, a leader, a founder of an organization like yours or any organization like that, uh, one, what do they, at what point do you think that they need to get to that to escape like you did? And how did you get to it? And what did you learn from that journey? And first of all, tell folks what you did. Cause I, I love the story. Sure. My, um, I left on July 1st to take a cross-country motorcycle journey. I called it my epic journey uh, <laughs> to celebrate Canada's 150 and to see our beautiful country. And then I returned um, through the U.S. Um, I got back to Toronto on July 21st. So it was about 20, 21 days. Mm-hmm. And I took the journey solo. 
mm-hmm. um, had amazing experiences along the way. I and wrote, you only you only what by the way you only planned your first stop for accommodations, if I remember correctly. I yeah, I scheduled my or sorry, I reserved my first two nights yes, uh, that's it. for the Saturday night and the Sunday night because of the Canada day long weekend. Yes. Um, after that, it was showing up in the in the various towns and um, <laughs> using my mobile phone and, and seeing if there was room at the inn. Yeah, I love it. And so along that journey, again, I want to get back to the deeper connection as a CEO and founder and so on. But I, I, one of the profound experiences that I took from that conversation was you going from across the prairies and then connecting to the uh, the Rockies. What did what was you know why was that so profound for you uh, in that in that process? Um, what part of my one of my goals or one of the the things I was most looking forward to as I was uh, planning the trip was to right. see the prairies and see that flat, um, th- see those flat plains and the big sky. And people kept saying to me, oh, you're, you know, you're going to be bored. You're going to just be driving straight for a long time. And I really didn't worry about that at all. And actually, when I did do it, um, I found it to be phenomenal experience because when you're when you're riding on a motorcycle and you're out underneath the sky, you get a sense for for two things. One is that you're very small mm-hmm. and the world is very big, and that your impact can be can be very small. <laughs> like it can, yes. it's very humbling. <laughs> Yes, yes. And then once you get through the prairies, you're into the Rocky Mountains, and it's even more humbling because they're so majestic and, and huge, and you're just a very small part of that whole ecosystem. Yes. Um, the other thing, though, is it gives you a sense of clarity and calmness. So right. I would I would probably compare it to meditation in that you have to be aware of your surroundings because you're riding a, a machine, but you, mm-hmm. you can also On two wheels, not mind. four wheels. <laughs> yeah. And you can clear your mind and have no distractions and just enjoy being. And right. I think that you know, that was one of the, the great benefits I, I got from, from the trip. Would you recommend it to other fellow uh, CEOs to I uh, founders? Absolutely, would recommend uh, that they take time away. So, I mm. think in our last conversation, when we were talking about this, you had asked me about my biggest failure in startups. In startups. Yes, I did. Yes, and and that's what, why this this conversation came up. Thank you for remembering that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Love it. So let's talk about that. Sure. So when I was working at my last startup before Designed UX. I was the chief customer officer and and then I was the interim CEO because the CEO went on mat leave. And at that time, I bought into the prevailing sen- sentiment that in order to be successful, in order for the startup to be successful, I had to dedicate all my time to the business. Mm. So I worked long hours and I worked on weekends and I canceled vacations and I thought about work 24-7. Mm-hmm. But this had a really negative impact on my health and on my personal relationships. And mm-hmm. as a result of that, I think it started to have a negative impact on the business. 
Because when you're burnt out, you lose perspective and small problems can seem like very big problems. Mm. So you need to step back and take a break in order to recharge and be creative. And having strong relationships outside the business remind you that you're not alone because mm. the startup world can make you feel very alone. Yes. Um, so what I learned is that taking time for yourself is as, is as important to the business being successful as it is to your commitment to the business for its success. Would you recommend, Michelle, that as part of the strategy for the business, when somebody gets started, that the founder or the quote unquote team, the founding team, make that mandatory that they take time away over a prolonged period of time, it becomes mandatory for the exact reasons you just talked about? I do. Uh, So, uh, a lot of startups have this open vacation policy, but the culture within the organization um, is such that it doesn't allow people to actually leave. Right. And right. then when and then when they do come back, it's punishing in the fact mm. that their their workload is just twice as much as it was before they left. Brilliant. So um, when you know, with my company, um, I strongly recommend people take the time that they need to do what they need to do to take a break so that when they're, they come back to work, they're creative, they're energetic and they can solve problems. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for letting me take that journey with you again. I, uh, and thank you for remembering the, the initial part which got us to that. Uh, I just remember it was so cool. I, I went home and told my wife that story and, and she says, I know what you're thinking. You want to go across <laughs> Canada and do the same thing. Cause I just love those meditation pros. And, and of course I'm a, I'm, I'm terrible at texting and driving like terrible, terrible, terrible. So on a motorcycle, you can't do it. So it's probably the safest thing I can ever do on vacation is to go on a motorcycle ride. Um, I want to dive now into uh, you as a, an entrepreneur in residence for the Ryerson DMZ, which is a very accomplished, um, I'll call it accelerator incubator for entrepreneurs uh, within uh, Toronto, but has, has got tentacles, of course, that reach out to uh, various parts of the world, one of which within my own province, Opportunities New Brunswick has signed on a strategic relationship with them too, to bring value for our entrepreneurial community. But as an entrepreneur in residence for the Ryers and DMZ, what do you hope to teach people from your experiences beyond what we've talked about already? Team, we talked about taking time, we talked about product market fit. So maybe we want to talk a little bit more about how that happens. Can you give us the view from the top of the Rockies as to how you would answer that question? <laughs> So at the Ryerson DMZ, it is the number one university-backed incubator in North America and third in the world. And they have about 80 um, to 90 startups there at any one time. And the goal is to get startups, uh, provide them uh, a landing spot or a place to get started and grow. And... Um, get that product market fit, get some revenue, and then scale. And as soon as the, the startups are ready to scale, they quote-unquote graduate and move on to their own office space. And um, Do that they move is, on to their – oh, sorry to interrupt. Do they move on into their own office space within the DMZ? Do they still – are they in their own office space outside physically of the DMZ? Um, they, they move out of the DMZ – Yes. Um, and into their own physical space somewhere else. Okay, cool. Okay, thank you. And the DMZ also recently opened a New York office. Um, it's down near Wall Street. 
And the goal of that is to give uh, startups a um, soft launch for or a soft landing pad to launch their products in the U.S. And I mm. think that's really critical uh, to to startup success is to get into the U.S. market as fast as you can, because it's an enormous market. There's huge opportunities there and people there tend to make quicker buying decisions. Do they have to, um, uh, if I wanted to go to the DMZ in New York, do I have to go through the program in Toronto first to get acceptance or how does that, uh, like I'm from Fredericton, I wanted, I don't want to go to Toronto, I want to go to New York. Does the DMZ program allow you to do that or do you have to go to Toronto first? You would have to first speak with the people in Toronto right. uh, to make arrangements. And what, what the details of those arrangements would be, I'm not sure. But yeah. um, generally, you know, they're very supportive of the Canadian startup ecosystem and yeah. are looking to, to help people. So yeah. I imagine there, there would be where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, well, and, and I agree. I mean, when we took a contingent up there, they were very open, you know, oh, yeah, come on up. That's great. They spend as much time as we needed to be there because they are a very collaborative organization. So so uh, thank you for that overview on that organization. Congratulations on being an entrepreneur in residence for the number one in North America and the number three in uh, in the world. Um, I want to quickly get back to the mentoring piece because to me, mentoring is, there's a difference between mentoring and I'll call it coaching. And what a lot of mentors don't do is really dive into what I think is the responsibility of one, having a right fit, first of all, taking the responsibility of having the right fit, but then taking the responsibility of making sure that the uh, the mentoring um, uh, gives them some personal feedback too. It isn't just about give. I, I believe it has to go two ways. So what does it give you? What is what does the entrepreneur in residence role give you, Michelle, at the end of the year when she's reflecting at Christmas time that, wow, that was so cool because I got this? Um, well, first of all, I'm inspired by other uh, entrepreneurs by their passion. Mm -hmm. So I every week I get to sit down with new people who have new ideas, creative ideas, solving problems. They ha Some have new tech that's incredible. Um, I've seen apps where um, they've imp already implemented AR into mobile technology so that you, if you say you were an uh, electrical en uh, engineer or an electrician mm -hmm. and you were going to an office building, you can put your phone um, in front of you with the camera on also in front of the electrical uh, panel and, mm. and know what, where everything's going, how it's routed and what you need to uh, be aware of when you're working on it. And that's just like one very, very small sliver of what this app can do. But uh, I find it incredibly inspiring. Um, the second thing is that I'm constantly learning from, from them as well. Yes. Um, and so what I learned from one startup, then uh, interestingly, I can help to solve a problem at another startup. And, and it's a real cross-pollination of ideas and problems and, and solutions. Um, and I'm a, just a faci facilitator within that ecosystem. Mm. And then finally, I'd say the third thing is one of my passions is to support women in technology. And I think, you know, the challenges that, that women have been facing in tech have been well documented and they're very topical right now. 
my um, solution uh, or, or what I think it, the best way to change things is to encourage more women to be founders and yes. get more people in leadership positions yes. because I think this needs to be a top-down approach because the leadership in any organization t- uh, sets the tone for everyone else. Very cool. I, I, there's a couple of things that come out of that conversation. The first one is the uh, the women in leadership technical roles. I, I go back to 2001 when you graduated with your MBA and you found your passion. How alone did you feel back then, or was it a different different environment back then? Um, I don't know that I would say I, I ever felt alone. Um, although there certainly were times my journey when I was the only woman in the room, um, or the only woman, um, you know, at, at, in meetings and I found, you know, the conversations very different and I found myself having to, um, adjust my behavior and the way that I Mm. talked about things that I would normally do. Um, to suit the situation. And I don't think self-editing really helps anyone. Right, right, right. Um, And and there was some, I I attended an event recently where their advice to to all the women in the audience was, don't edit yourself because you think someone else is going to. (laughs) Love it, love it, love it. And and you're going to repeat that a few times, aren't you? Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other piece that I really resonated with what you were talking about was the the two way value for mentorships. I see, you know, I, I, I and and the audience, our audience here knows that I speak about this all the time. That uh, that entrepreneurship business is a dating game, and um, and you have to constantly be on a focus to how do you keep the relationship in the honeymoon stage. And just because you're a mentor doesn't mean you can't or deserve to receive something out of this volunteer position. Um, you know, people that are passionate about diabetes volunteer because the value it gives back to them. And mentorship should be the same way. And I see it too many times and I'm going to call them out with lawyers, with accountants and so on. And even some of our banker friends who just get involved because it's a civic duty. No, you've got to take something back out of it so you can learn, so you can nurture, so that you want to keep playing in that role versus, oh, I'll just pass it off to the junior person next time. And so I love that you've re- enforce that the the value you're getting and and are not shy about saying it either. So that's, that's very, very cool. Um, You've worked with startups and you've worked with fortune 500 companies. My gosh, that's got to be a a different journey with uh, each one of those. Can you kind of talk about the difference between working with startups and fortune 500 companies? Because a lot of our, uh, our listeners would uh, be in a situation that they're heading in that direction or are at least beginning to play with, uh, with the, the, the different or different, these two different um, size organizations. The, the biggest difference and, and it's very noticeable is pace. Mm-hmm. So when I'm working with startups, they tend to want things completed yesterday, even though <laughs> they asked me this morning. Yes. And it's it's very much in the moment. We're 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 doing this. We have this need. We need to meet it now. Pivot um, very fast. With larger companies, um, they require more planning. There's more people involved. There are different levels of decision making. Um, this requires more meetings. You're, you know, instead of planning out projects over weeks, you're planning them out over months or even 18, 
18 months, a year and a half. Um, and so I would say the pace is, is the biggest difference. I think um, secondly is professionalism. So uh, again, there's this idea that as a startup, well, you know, because you're, you're dressed casual and because you're with right. your peers, you can approach business in a very casual way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's not always the best way forward. I think mm -hmm. there's a level of professionalism that comes with larger organizations that startups should look to and emulate. Mm. Um, and that professional extends from uh, personal courtesy of being on time for meetings, mm -hmm. uh, returning phone calls, returning emails in a timely way. Um, and, um, and even, you know, just in your interpersonal reaction, uh, interactions with your team. Why does why does that happen? You know, I've I've got a I've got a, a great friend of mine. She used to be one of the um, one of the franchise owners of the Quick Copy operation here in Fredericton, and and she spoke once about customer service at a at a conference, and she was saying, "Why is it that our parents bring us up to say please and thank you?" For a long time, I'll say the majority of parents do, and yet all of a sudden we're 18 and cool in a startup and we don't have to say it anymore. What happens? Is it because we buy into this culture of coolness of, you know, I'll wear my jeans and, and I won't worry about that stuff? Is, is, it, is it that or is there, is there something else? I'm, I'm, maybe you don't know the answer, but I'm curious as to your insight. Uh, I would say that that's the case for some people. I wouldn't say that it's everyone in the startup world or everyone in the corporate world, but there there are some people that associate a casual workplace with a casual way of addressing each other or talking to mm. each other. And mm. that's sometimes where, you know, the jokes are inappropriate. They, they get right. out of hand. People aren't thinking through, like, what would the impact be to this other person who might be the butt of that joke? Right. Um, right. Maybe I should... I shouldn't say that. Whereas right. in a more professional environment, um, I think people um, almost intuitively know that this is a workplace and this is separate from from hanging out with my friends, and so I should treat it differently. And so the uh, you know the survival of the politest will ultimately <laughs> shine through, and the uh, and the startup that doesn't get it is ultimately not going to be part of the game, and um, and that's just going to be reality. And that's uh, it's 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 it gets back to another pet peeve of mine. I, I just hate it that we give out ribbons to to thirteenth place finishes in the uh, in the uh, in the the, the, the educate or the elementary school track and field run when there's only 12 people on the field it's just everybody's got to feel good well that's not how the business world works and so uh, i appreciate your insight on that um michelle uh look we've uh, we've had a, a, another great conversation and i can't remember in the last one did we talk about your favorite book or your favorite mentor but i knew it was uh, is insightful so uh, i'd like you to kind of uh, end the conversation with based on uh, you never getting to talk to our audience again, although you could, of course, uh, what would be the one, the one resource that you would suggest that they, that they use for a, a focus going forward in their professional career or maybe their personal life? That's a, that's a, that's fine too. Sure. I, I would describe myself as a lifelong learner. 
So when I became responsible for contracts at my company, I took a university course in contract law and one in corporate Mm. finance. And then for fun, I took a course in photography. And then Mm. for practical reasons, I learned how to code about three years ago. And I'm also an avid reader. Nice. And I think nice. that, you know, reading or taking courses or classes either for fun or for professional development are really, really important. Yes. Um, the book I'm currently reading is The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis. Okay. And it's really interesting because it it's talking about how we as humans do not make rational decisions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <duh>. <laughs> Really? And it's a bestseller, I bet. And it's a bestseller. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. A bestseller on a a book about not uh, making rational decisions. Now, now I've got a theory in my head, and I will promise you I will tell the the honest answer to this question. But in my head, I have already figured out whether you read – actual physical books, or if you actually are a, um, what do they call it? A a kadoo or, you know, you're an e-reader type of uh, reader. So which is it? Do you actually buy the physical books because you enjoy them more or do you, uh, you read on tablets? I'll be interested in your opinion on this, but uh, I like to read physical books. And that's what uh, I thought. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Amazon prime. Yes. And, um, and I'll buy a hardcover, uh, but it's good every now and again to get away from the screen and rest your eyes and yes, yes. turn some pages. Yes. Well, I, the reason I, I picked that side, and I did pick the physical book, by the way, is because your world is, your passion is so technologically oriented, but then there's that motorcycle, Michelle, that comes out. And I think that the books are just going to be part of that journey also. <laughs> yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, very cool. Well, uh, Michelle, first of all, uh, first of all, lastly, uh, how do people get a, get a hold of you on social media? Because I think you'd be a cool person to hang out with there. Uh, my Twitter handle is at mcares, M-C-A-E-R-S. My mm-hmm. company's Twitter is at designedux, and our website is designedux.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You said you were on an epic journey. Today was a, an epic journey for me again to, uh, to have this conversation. Uh, been a real joy. Thank you again, Michelle, for being on the Startup Canada podcast show. Thanks, Rivers. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, this is Komal Minhas, founder of Comedia, and you are listening to the Startup Canada podcast show. What have you taken from that as your in your journey of life, and 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 how can you ultimately give advice to our listeners on uh, who might be going through a similar thing? I appreciate this question a lot, um, and a big part of that is because in January I made the active decision after after getting sick in a different way this time with some neurological issues to step back from my life in New York and to step back from Dream Girl and the company and rebuild my health. 
and pause from my career. And for the past six months, I've been mostly off the grid. And so Mm -hmm. this is a bit of me peeking my head out of my cave and saying, (laughs) world, are you still out there? Yes. Um, And And look what happened when that happened. Hey, yes, we are. We want you. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like very, it's, it's discombobulating. I feel like any illness just it destroys you in your mm-hmm. psyche, in your well-being, in who you think you are, in what you think you are. Mm. My self-worth was so tied to my productivity for majority of my life. And I beat myself up for four months and then I got sick again. And then I was like, you know what? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over <laughs> and over and over again. So yeah, I am going to try. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to try something different. And so I hope like listeners who are going through, whether it's like, whether it's mental illness, whether you're going through something physical, whether someone in your life has been diagnosed, whether someone in your life has passed away and you just feel so lost that there is a path forward and that if you give yourself permission to heal in the way that you need to and recover in the way that you need to, you can come back stronger than you ever imagined. 